Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. have a Bible handy, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's on page 1014 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. I'm going to take a look at some verses from uh, 2 Peter, or 1 Peter rather, chapter 2, uh, which talks about our role as citizens of God's kingdom, but also citizens of an earthly kingdom. So this is the last sermon in our uh, Save to Serve sermon series, and it's just in time because apparently I heard uh, that there's election coming up in a couple weeks. I think I read it like at the end of the newspaper. (laughs) Uh, It's a joke, a little humor. Um, But anyways, yes, there's an election coming up, and we've heard a lot about it. And I think it's good that we pause and take some time to think critically and carefully about what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom, but also a citizen of this nation that we live in. Uh, We as Christians have uh, a dual citizenship. Uh, On the one hand, we are part of God's holy chosen nation, which is the church called out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Uh, But we also happen to be citizens of this nation, the United States of America. Uh, We live in two kingdoms, uh, one that is eternal and one that is temporal, and we have to maintain that distinction between the two kingdoms or we'll fall off into error. Uh, On the one hand, we don't want to make our citizenship or our nation into an idol, which sometimes Christians will do. Uh, They'll worship their nation or their citizenship over God, or they'll confuse the two. But on the other hand, while we don't want to make this nation into an idol, we don't want to be idle about our citizenship. We want to be citizens who are faithful and involved, not checked out. We don't want to make too much of this nation, but on the other hand, we don't want to make too little of it, but we want to be good stewards of the freedoms we've been given. We want to give God what is God's and then also give Caesar what is Caesar's. God gets everything, our nation gets some. Let's talk about that today. So the first truth that I want to share with you, we're going to talk about two different truths here. First one is this. Don't make your nation or your citizenship into an idol. Let's go back in time to the first century to when Peter wrote this letter uh, to the Christians living in Asia Minor. Uh, Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. It was part of the Roman Empire at this time. And for these Christians, there would have been enormous pressure to make much of Rome and even to worship the emperor. Uh, So Rome had total control, and and Rome saw itself as the first and greatest empire of the world that would endure forever, and, and even to the point where the Caesars or the emperors would demand worship from their subjects. Now, Our situation is different than their situation to some degree because uh, most of the people that Peter wrote to probably weren't citizens. Rather, they were subjects of the Roman Empire. 
Uh, and, and in fact, to have citizenship in the Roman Empire was a very precious thing. So as you read the book of Acts, for example, uh, it comes up a couple times that the Apostle Paul has Roman citizenship, uh, which gives him some rights that other people didn't have. That was a very precious, valuable thing. But most of the people that Peter's writing to probably aren't citizens. They're probably subjects of the Roman Empire. And there's this immense pressure on them, immense public, public pressure to worship the Caesar as God. In fact, we have coins uh, from this era that say things like, Tiberius Caesar, the Son of God, or the Savior of the world, uh, these divine claims that these Caesars made for themselves. And so, um, there would be these public parades and public ceremonies where people would offer incense in worship of Caesar. And if you didn't participate, if you were the one person living on the block who didn't do that, uh, you would be seen as suspect. You would be seen uh, perhaps even persecuted. So that's the situation that Peter's speaking into as he writes to these early Christians. And into that environment, into that political environment, this is what Peter says. Let's read these verses together. We've been speaking them in worship uh, the last couple weeks. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. These words are not about Rome in the least, but rather these words are for God's Israel, the church, for people of every nation, tribe, and tongue that God has called to faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, Peter's writing these words, yes, to subjects of the Roman Empire, but he's reminding them that even though they are subjects of an empire that was often hostile to them, that they are, in fact, God's chosen people. They are part of a story that will outlive the glory of Rome, so that centuries later when Rome crumbled and fell, the church still stood and continued as God's chosen people. This is important for us to know as Christians living in this nation. Now, we have a much different context, a much different history. Uh, we're not subjects of America, but rather we are citizens of America. And as citizens of America in this democracy, we have rights that people in Rome would have never even dreamed of, things like uh, freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom to gather. These are things that most human beings have not enjoyed in the history of the world. We're very privileged in that sense. Uh, so our context is a little bit different. We are citizens, not subjects, with many freedoms not enjoyed by those in Rome. And also, this nation has, to some degree, been shaped by uh, Christianity, uh, whereas Rome wasn't. Rome was a very pagan, idol-worshiping empire. Uh, it would persecute the Christian faith for a few centuries until the time of Constantine. So our situation is different. So I would say that our situation is this, is that we may as citizens of this nation, be tempted to blur the line between what Christian is and what citizen is. That we might think that being a Christian is just being a good American citizen, when those aren't the same thing necessarily, or, or being a citizen is being a good Christian. Uh, in fact, I would say that we are tempted to make an idol out of our nation or our citizenship. I'll give you a couple examples of how we can do this. Number one is when we think that we are, as Americans, that we are God's chosen 
special nation. I've read the Bible front to back multiple times, and the United States of America is never mentioned once. It is mentioned that nations that honor God and love God and serve God will uh, usually be blessed, and nations that ignore God and drift away from God and, and do, who do injustice and who, who, uh, who have laws that are unjust and hurtful, who, who forget about God and slip off into idolatry, those nations are judged. We see that in the Old Testament all the time. But I've read the Bible front to cover, uh, front to back, and I've never seen the United States of America referenced. Uh, this nation is a great nation to live in. It's a blessing to be here. And in, in a sense, this nation is unique. It's, it's something that hasn't really happened in the history of the world, uh, the freedoms that we enjoy. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that this is God's holy, special nation. That's true of the church. What Peter's writing here, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that's not about any nation, not about this one. It's about the church of Jesus Christ, which God has called out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So we need to remember that. Um, but sometimes the, the lines get blurred. I'll give you an example. Um, this past summer, I had an opportunity to watch other churches on, on uh, the Internet, uh, you know, something I haven't had uh, the privilege of doing in the past because I'm always in church. But now every church in America had their worship services online. So I thought, hey, I'm going to check some things out, see what other churches are doing. And I saw a very large church, a very well-known church uh, in another state, uh, that had a uh, celebration of America service uh, over the 4th of July weekend. And uh, now on the one hand, you know, there's nothing wrong with us as Christians giving thanks for our nation in worship, in our prayers. And we should definitely pray for our elected leaders in worship. But I would say this church crossed the line. Uh, because as, uh, as, uh, as everybody gathered, the screens were all American flags, and everybody in the pews had these little American flags that they were waving, and they weren't singing, you know, hymns like, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, or songs like, Shine, Jesus, Shine. They were singing all patriotic songs that don't really talk about Jesus at all, but talk about America a lot. And, and uh, the, the sermon was delivered by a high-ranking political official, somebody who holds public office, and the sermon was a little bit about Jesus and a whole lot about America. And, and as I watched that, I thought, you know, this is idolatry. This is like textbook definition of idolatry, that we're worshiping something other than God. We as Americans should be proud to be Americans. We should hold our citizenship uh, uh, highly, and we should give thanks to God for that. But when we gather in this space to worship, it is a place where we only declare the excellencies of Jesus, the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We can give thanks for our nation. We can pray for our nation. But Jesus has the spotlight on him. We focus on the death and the resurrection of Christ and the new family that God has created from all nations. Uh, if you've got a hymnal in front of you, uh, let's go ahead and break out the hymnal. We're not going to sing anything, uh, but I just want you to see something in here. Uh, so open up a hymnal. We don't break these out often at the 930 service, but um, I want you to see something here. So there are a lot of hymns in here. In fact, the first hymn begins on page 331 with the first hymn of the Advent season, the Advent of our King. Now flip all the way back to the end, to hymn 9, 
964. Hymn 964. What's the very last topical index of hymns in our hymnal? Nation and national songs. There's not 20 of them in there. Guess what? There's only three. And what's interesting is that none of these three hymns for nation and national songs even reference the United States of America specifically. None of our patriotic songs are in here. Those are great songs to sing, but they're not in our hymnal. And that's because our church body, the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, has always been very careful to distinguish between the worship of God and the state. We give thanks to God for living in this nation, but we don't sing our praises about the glory of this nation. We only sing it about the glory of Jesus and His chosen nation, the church. You see, you and me, we have been called into a story that's bigger than this country. We've been called into a story that will outlive the glories of this nation. That means that our destiny isn't tied up in in what happens politically in the United States of America. Our destiny is tied up in the broken body of Jesus Christ for our salvation. That's good news, right? That's really good news. The second way that we might slip into idolatry uh, with our country is that Uh, we might end up putting our ultimate hope in America rather than in the promises of God given to us in Christ. Uh, That's why I think that so many people, often so many Christians are just angry or frustrated or stressed about politics. Uh, You know, if you got the news on all the time, right, you know, people just have this anxiety and this stress, or maybe they see it on social media. But once again, we need to be reminded that we are called into a story that is not dependent upon whatever happens in this election, and that's the story of God's church. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, not a political party. Uh, The the church uh, um, stands on Jesus, right? And, And so we need to remember that. And so that's why we can approach this election with actually a lot of confidence, because the truth is this, is that if former Vice President Joe Biden becomes our current president in this election, we as Christians will wake up on November 5th as if nothing has changed, because we're still baptized and Jesus is still raised from the dead, and we still have the same mission. The work continues. Nothing has changed. If uh, current President Trump becomes our next president in this election, then once again, the church will wake up on November 5th as if nothing has changed. Christ is still risen. The tomb is empty. We're still baptized. We've still got a lot of work to do. Um, None of the work that we need to do is dependent upon this nation. The church has survived in the worst of circumstances and the best of circumstances. So onward, right? But... If we've made this point that our citizenship truly rests in God's kingdom and that we can't make an idol out of this nation, we have to be careful. We have to hold these truths in tension. Truth number two is, yes, don't make an idol of your nation or your citizenship, but do not be idle about your citizenship, but rather hold it dearly. Use it for the glory of God. You know, I can imagine uh, some of those Christians that Paul wrote to in the Roman Empire 
if they heard that they're part of God's chosen nation and that their destiny is wrapped up in Jesus and not in Rome, that they might begin to have a cavalier attitude about Rome. They might say, to heck with Rome and to heck with Caesar. He's an idol worshiper anyways. Jesus is Lord. But you're going to see here in the text that the call to know Jesus is going to call these subjects of Rome into service to Rome. Let's read this together. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. A couple things to notice here. You know, a government is preferable to no government. And so even if we live in a government that isn't working that great, you know, we still ought to give thanks for the fact that we have roads and running water and things like that. And so in this case, uh, uh, Peter is urging these Christians in Rome, even though they're not living in the most ideal circumstances as subjects of Rome, that they would have reverence and respect for the government authorities that exist because these are actually put into place by God. Now, these uh, governing officials don't always honor God, but nevertheless, they've been entrusted with authority. And so we are to be subject to them for the Lord's sake. And what this really boils down to is good works. You see, when, when the empire looked at Christians, they, they should have seen good works, that Christians would be recognized as the good works people, the people who feed the hungry and the people who care about the least of these in society, that, that the empire would look at Christians and say, these people are good subjects of Rome. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians always just lay down and do whatever the emperor says. A lot of Christians laid down their lives in the Roman Empire because they refused to bow the knee and worship Caesar. But nevertheless, they were called to honor those who are in government, to be known as good works people, not apathetic people. And the same is true for us. The first thing that our elected officials should think of when they think of the church and Christians is those are the good works people. Those are the people that, that run the homeless shelters and feed the hungry and care about the poor, that are, that are there for the vulnerable. These are the people that if they ever stop doing their good works, we would have a lot more work to do. That's the way that we want the government to see us as good works people. Let's take a look at another scripture. Let's read this together. 1 Peter 2, 16 through 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You know, it's interesting that Peter wasn't really writing to people who are free, but he says, but they actually are free in Christ. But that freedom in Christ, that destiny that's wrapped up in Jesus and not Rome, doesn't lead to disrespect for Rome. So look at the structure of this sentence, this last sentence. I uh, color-coded it for you so you can see the different priorities that we have. At the center of the sentence in red is our main priority, love the brotherhood, fear God. That means love your church. Love the person who sits next to you in the pew and fear God, honor Him above all else. 
desire uh, to uh, have his approval, not the approval of others. But that doesn't negate honoring others. So on the outside of the sentence, on the either ends in blue, honor everyone, even those who disagree with you or resist you, and honor the emperor. And what's really interesting here is that Peter is actually asking these Christians to honor an emperor who's not all that honorable. Uh, The Caesars had a reputation for being immoral, violent, pagan, idol-worshiping philanderers. They weren't great people. And nevertheless, there's this call to give honor and respect. It doesn't mean that Christians uh, didn't disagree with the emperor or with Rome, but they gave respect and honor. And the same thing is true for you and me as Christians in this nation. You know, sadly, many times I have seen Christians uh, badmouth and defame uh, our elected officials. When George W. Bush was president, I saw Christians who would say hurtful, insensitive, disrespectful things about our then president. Or when uh, President Obama was our president, once again, I saw Christians who would say hurtful and even false things like conspiracy theory things about our then president. In a church parking lot, I saw a bumper sticker that said, not my president. And that is not the way that God would have us approach our leaders. Yes, we can disagree with them, but we're called to respect their office and to pray for them. That's what Scripture tells us over and over again in the New Testament. If Peter can tell us to pray for the emperor, (laughs) then I think that we can pray for our president, for our governor, for our elected officials. This means that if on November 4th, uh, former President Joe Biden becomes our current president of the United States, that means that you and I have a duty as Christian citizens to speak respectfully of our new president and to pray for his success, for his well-being. That's non-negotiable. We may not always agree with his policies or even his behavior, but we pray. We show respect. In the same way, if uh, President Trump becomes our uh, next president again, he comes to a second term, it's your duty as citizens of this nation, Christians saved citizens of this nation, it is your duty to speak respectfully and pray for him while he's in office. This does not mean that you're always going to agree with his policies or his behavior. It doesn't mean that you don't speak out about things, but nevertheless, you pray and you show respect for your leaders. That's the way uh, that we do things as Christians. Or as I say to my kids after watching The Mandalorian, this is the way, right? This is what we do as Christians. Uh, We pray and we speak honorably. I want to give you a final analogy here that I think is helpful in us understanding our dual role as citizens of this nation and citizens of God's kingdom. Uh, When I uh, graduated college, I continued working in my summer job, which was construction. I I did it for a whole year uh, before I was married. And uh, during that year, one of the first jobs that we did is we had to uh, do uh, a masonry restoration job on an entire elementary school in Lincoln. So uh, basically, we had to go to this old elementary school that was ages and ages old and grind out all the old mortar and take out some of the bricks and then put in new mortar. And uh, as we showed up on that job uh, early in the summer, you know, I was ready to get to work. Uh, 
the sooner we get this done, the better. But uh, the first thing that we had to do was we had to put up scaffolding. And if you've ever put up scaffolding, it's not fun. Anybody ever done that before? It's not fun. It's this system of uh, poles and, and platforms, and you have to hoist them up and pull them up on pulleys and make this network uh, that you can climb so that you can have a stable platform to work on uh, rather than using, you know, lifts or, or ladders or whatnot. And so this is the first thing that we had to do. Now, the uh, scaffolding that we put up was very important, but the scaffolding was not an end in itself. It was a means to an end. We used the scaffolding and the stability that it provided so that we could work on something more long-term, the building. And so we ought to see our nation, our citizenship in this nation, like the scaffolding. It's really important that it's stable, that it works, that we can stand on it, but it's not for its own end. It exists for a greater end, and that greater end is God's kingdom, that we might have a space to work and build God's kingdom, which endures forever. Uh, so as Americans, we, we don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are just there for themselves. But as Christians, we want to leverage these things for the work of the gospel. Because in many nations, you don't have life or liberty or the pursuit of happiness, but rather the gospel is suppressed. A lot of people don't have the freedoms that we enjoy. And so we want to leverage those freedoms for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Because it's a lot easier to be the church and a lot easier to spread the gospel when the foundation of government that we're standing on is stable and we have freedoms intact. Now, in the history of the church, the church has continued to do the work even as the scaffolding is falling down. So, uh, centuries after Peter wrote this, the Roman Empire did fall and it was a messy fall. And when it fell, the church still stood and it still continued to do its work, but it wasn't ideal. You know, human dignity did not prosper at that time. And in fact, then eventually we went into the, the dark ages where not a lot of good scholarship was done and, and the gospel didn't spread like it could have. Uh, so it's important for us to recognize these freedoms not as ends in themselves, but be invested in, in everything this nation uh, would call us to, the politics and policies and, and voting and, and thinking and praying for our nation because we want to use these freedoms for the greater purpose of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will endure forever. So may God give us faithfulness in this task. May we serve faithfully as citizens, uh, but may we always embrace that citizenship that will never fail, our citizenship in God's kingdom. Amen. Amen.